Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Freo Big Footy podcast. This week we'll go back and have a look at the game from last week where Fremantle and Adelaide fought out a really tough fought affair with Fremantle eventually getting over the line 10 goals 8-68 to 7 goals 15-57. We'll have a bit of a look at the game against with Peel against Claremont on the weekend and then have a look at the upcoming clash on uh, against the Tigers where we should see at least a half-decent Friday night football game. Joining us this week uh, is our one of our usual regulars in Valkram. How are you, mate? Good things, mate. Yourself? Yeah, very good, thank you. And uh, fortunately, Seppo is unable to make it tonight, so uh, it's just going to be the two of us shooting the breeze about what happened and uh, what were your thoughts from the uh, game on the weekend, Valkram? Um, it almost felt very much in a sort of an old-school style of football. I mean, yes, they still have the zones and everything, but it just felt, I mean, everyone's been talking about the five danger field, so let's jump straight into it. I mean... Amazing fact that how they went out head to head all game and the coaches just left it going there. I thought that was an amazing thing. But there was lots of brilliance all around the ground. But no, a really good game. Um, I'm kind of glad we had a tough game because we kind of need those. We can't just sort of cruise through all the way through because, you know, end of the year it does get tougher. So, but no, good game. Happy with the win. And uh, I think we'll finish it up with just 9 and 0. Yeah, it was a, a tough. Tough water fair, and we got into a good start with three goals early on the ball in the dry conditions, and Tabernacle was able to bring the ball down to Walters and look quite good. And then the rain started, and we started to struggle adapting to the conditions, and obviously we haven't had a lot of rain in Perth lately, Valkram, and we just seem to take a little bit more time than Adelaide in adjusting to those conditions. Uh, we're a lot taller as well. I mean, you've got Tabernacle, Pavlich, Clark, Sandy. I mean, that's quite tall for the conditions that it became. If it stayed a dry game, then that would have been an advantage for us, but in the wet, it didn't. And, and like Ross said, one of them had to come off and Tabs was the guy because Clark was the other guy helping Sandy out in the ruck. Not that he needed it, but I can understand from a structural point of view. But if they knew it was going to rain all game, um, it seems strange they didn't make a late change and bring in, say, uh, who was I think Mzungu was the travelling emergency, so bring him in for, unfortunately, Tabernay makes sense from a structural point of view. Yeah, I think if uh, the rain came a bit earlier in the afternoon, they probably would have made that change. Mm. But it looked like it was going to be sort of conditions were going to sort of hang out for a little bit. And and in the first 10 minutes, it looked like a right call. And then, as you said, come the third quarter, they Ross Lyon obviously pulled the trigger early on it. And they needed yeah, to do really that. Early. They were struggling early. So the, yeah, We pulled the trigger early, and that's when we uh, started to take the lead. So... Obviously, the, the structure worked back in our favour again. Hmm. The other interesting thing was that in the past, Fremantle have been quite dominant in the disposals. But on that, on the particular night, obviously, Fife had 40, but the next three best possession getters on the ground were all Adelaide, which has been a bit unusual. More often than not, this year, Fremantle tends to have had higher disposal sort of getters than the opposition. It did, but it did feel like they had the ball more than us, but they just couldn't uh, totally get through our defence all the time. Yeah, it seemed a little bit like, I know we've had it a few times, in the, even in the derbies, where the opposition team has, like the, in that case the Eagles or even Adelaide, they had the game on their terms in that second term, but they just kept missing goals, easy shots for goals, and that one goal five really in the second quarter was a difference when in the third quarter we kicked five goals one, and... and I think Phil Walsh sort of hit the nail on the head when he said poor kick, cold kicking cost them a game. And I think it's also important as well, Valkram, that 
I think it was on one of the footy shows this week. That could have been a game in the past that Fremantle could have quite easily said, Adelaide are on tonight, let's just put you know, put the queue in the rack. We'll, you know, we're eight and we're not eight and zip eight and one won't be too bad. But they really fought the game out and got and as Ross said, they were quite emphatic in that last half and particularly the last quarter. I mean, really in that last quarter we struggled to capitalise on the number of inside fifties that we had and we just weren't putting the ball into dangerous enough spots. We just kept yeah. missing targets. But I I think that's free of old where we just said if we would have gone, Oh, that's no point getting hurt and bashed and bruised and you know, let's just come away, keep the injuries good and go on. That's that sounds like old defeatist Frio that we used to be. That's definitely not the way we're under Ross Lyon. If Ross Lyon, you know, anywhere, any time, anyone, um, we just don't give up now, which is I love that now. But I mean just the way we're playing, the way we're presenting our size we're never going to give up on that, which I really admire, and it proved fruitful that, you know, we came back from, what were they, 15, 16 up just before th- three-quarter time, was it? Somewhere around there? Or just and before half time. a couple late ones just yeah. to uh... bring it back close. Mm. I think so, the other interesting point, as you said, obviously was the dominance of Sandlands, and it wasn't like he was playing a average oh. ruckman in Sam Jacobs, who's been in All-Australian contention for the last couple of years. Oh, they've so. been talking that up. He looked useless against Sandlands. He did. No and... offence. And, I mean, there's also a lot of talk about the fact that we didn't dominate the clearances or the hit-outs to advantage and that sort of stuff. But in that last quarter, we were still able to put the ball where we wanted. So even though we weren't necessarily getting the clearances, we weren't allowing them to get the ball where they wanted. And that's one of the strengths that they've had this year. When Jacobs goes up against particularly poorer Ruckman, he's able to dictate where Adelaide have their hit zones. And he was struggling against Sandlands on the weekend. So we were able to contain the ball inside that 50 or in that forward half for a long period of the last quarter because of the fact that Sandlins gave us that position. And Phil Walsh himself... See that in the stats, though. When we yep. get the hit out, I mean, look at their tackle count. Their tackle count is so much higher than ours. I mean, Scott Thompson, 14 tackles. Um, Cam Ellis-Yellman, 9 tackles. Dangerfoot, 8 tackles. Laird, 8 tackles. I mean, our next highest was Subin and Valentine was 7. I mean, the Sandlins was tapping it down to our guys, but because it was such a tight contest... They were basically getting it, getting tackled, and then if the ball was spilling out, that's how they were getting there. That's why I noticed was getting a lot of their clearances. Yeah, I think the other one, like the other person who stood out on the night, was the guy who's been a bit of a uh, sort of you know common target on the boards is Subin, who when it gets wet, he tends to stand out a little bit more, and he, he thrives in those conditions with the hard body, and he really I mean, he snapped that only goal we kicked in the second quarter, set up five in the third, and probably one of his better games for the club, particularly in those wet conditions. Yeah, he always comes out. I mean, those hard bodies that bash and crash all day. I mean, he's got the fitness to run up and down the ground all day long, so he's always going to be at every contest, and he just goes in hard. He doesn't know any other way. He goes in hard, backs his teammates in, backs, the, backs himself in to get the ball. So that, in that type of weather, he comes, comes to play, definitely. And it was pleasing to see also that Michael Walters continued his good form from the week before, kicking three goals, and they were pretty crucial goals, obviously, in a game where the final margin was only 11 points. But it wasn't just the fact that he got goals, but when he got them as well, which obviously made a big difference for us. It certainly does. I mean, they're just starting. Like, well, I mean, Ballantyne only got one goal, but, I mean, he was quite feisty in the defensive pressure side of it, so that was good to see him starting to get back that way. Um, Pavlich, two goals, was it, from memory? Uh, late yeah. clutch one from memory. Um, so he was good. Main doing his normal thing. I actually, I thought Main was a little quiet than normal, but still does his does his thing. Um, 
I'll do it for Seppo. T-Train played a good game when he came on. I think he'll play this week too. I, I have a funny feeling that he won't dub the... Ross has been talking him up a bit, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they do give Sheridan the full game this week and whether they bring... If Spur doesn't come up, and we'll get to that a little bit later, you'd have to think that Nzungu may come in off the sub role or even if they give Sutcliffe a game on on the bench as a sub and they'll leave Sheridan in there. Spur will be a big loss for us because even though Eddie kicked two goals, the, the first one was a freak... I mean, both goals were really freak goals. The first snap, one was such... snap from in the pocket on a set shot and a left foot barrel from the uh, from the boundary. And as come on, as Dunstall said, one in a million. And the week before, he kept Lindsay Thomas very quiet. So his last two weeks have been exceptional. So even though Richmond don't have a lot of class in the small forward area compared to those two players, he oh, will still be a big like loss. If Dustin Martin goes forward, you think Spear would take him, being that stronger body. Yeah, ideal matchup, and he can play taller as well, which would be ideal. But we'll get to that in a minute. Any other sort of standouts for you on the night? Okay. Um, oh, we haven't talked about it. Barlow's goal. That was a classic. That was a <laughs> beauty, wasn't it? Oh, I was. I think it was. I'm trying to think. Did I wake the young fellow, or was he just about to go to bed? And I'm jumping up and down, going, "You beauty!" I think just about everyone who was who's a diehard Frio supporter would have had a bit of a shout at the telly when that one went through and. It looked even better on the side. Like when you saw it in real time, it was a great goal. But even when it was, they showed that extra replay where it was sort of right behind him. The, the difficulty of it was even more pronounced. So yeah, because he because he went to go inboard first. His first option was to go in with Ballantyne setting the um, shepherd, and he went to go in, but the guy actually went inbound on you know over committed to the end, which is what you do. And then he had to go down the boundary and make that difficult kick. It was an amazing, amazing goal. Unfortunately. Uh, Eddie Betts' goal is going to get goal of the week. Oh, for sure. I mean, you'd be surprised if it's not goal of the year unless uh, someone Something does a little Lloydy back, back heeler from about a metre. Or what's his name um, from GWS that actually gets that soccer kick one? Oh, I can't remember, oh, I can't remember which one. Was it Burgoyne a couple of years ago when he did that reverse Tory at Brisbane mm. and from about 55? It was pretty similar, actually, to Eddie Betts. And how that didn't get goal of the year and then Lloydy's got a like a half-foot tap with his yeah. back heel, got gold. That was a disgrace. But anyway, yeah. I thought the other interesting point as well, we talked a bit a little bit last week, Valcom, was about Jake Lever, who was one of the options that we had when we picked with Lockie Will. And I thought he showed quite a bit playing that loose man in defence. He and, did play well. He did play well for Adelaide. He kept uh, getting the right spots and putting his body on the line. So, no, they've got a player there, I think. And you'll just get better and better. So Adelaide have got obviously had a number of players out, but I thought they battled pretty hard, and they would be very happy with that performance. It'd be interesting to see how they back up this week. I know Daniel Pierce sort of talked about the fact that we're no, long, no longer the Hunters or, you know, we're not the Hunters, we're still the Hunters. But as we sort of go further and further with our record, you'll see teams try and get up each week to knock us off. And I thought Adelaide last week gave everything they had. Oh, they definitely they definitely had a, had a, had a red-hot crack at us. But, but they get a bit of, not, not trying to be rude, but they get an easier game this week. They got Carlton, so... Yeah, and if it wasn't anyone but Carlton, it might be interesting to see how they back up, but you just have to think, Carlton, yeah, with Carlton they should win comfortably if they go close to that. Also during the uh, weekend, there was a game held down at Claremont Showgrounds where Claremont 17 goals, 16, 118, defeated Peel Thunder 6, 10, 46. I went down to watch this one, Valcrum and Peel were very, very ordinary to say the least. It was, I haven't been down for a couple of weeks and... Going down to watch them this week, I thought 
you know, 16 play AFL listed players in there. It should really be a strong performance, and it was very, very disappointing. And then having Zach Dawson break his thumb on top of that, and you can sort of tell in the last quarter he came off very upset, and the trainers were sort of consoling him, so you knew it was something serious. And, yeah, the possession count doesn't really or sort of tends to flatter the position because it was a very disappointing performance. Yeah, well, I'm just looking at the numbers and, and hearing the match report, it sounds like we just fluffed around with the ball a lot, um, just pretty much dominated in every facet of the game. It didn't uh, didn't read well at all trying to keep up on that one. So, and I'm, I'm Zach Dawson has, they said today, he's um, successful thumb surgery, so that's a, that's a positive sign. Um, but, you know, DeBoer, 27, he obviously wants to get back in. Um, and Crozier still putting up good numbers, but are they playing team ball or are they playing for themselves, trying to get back into the Frio team? I mean, you'd know more being there. Actually yeah, the the Crozier, Crozier was probably pretty flattering last week, 25 touches. If you looked at it, you thought he had a lot of the ball and 10 marks, but he really didn't stand out or use the ball that effectively at times. Mm. The one person who did, I, I think Peel went in a little bit like last year, too many tools, and we struggled with our run where... Blakely got held pretty well. The one guy who was using the ball quite cleanly and looked the goods was Lockie Weller. I thought mm-hmm. Weller was probably close to our best on ground um, in the game, and I thought he worked really hard. I know he was listed fifth there, but I would have had him a little bit. And Ed Langdon was another one who I thought showed pretty good run and tried to link up play through the back half pretty well all day. And uh, Brady Gray, once again, just showed... Really a tough, tenacious side playing that small defender, but it just doesn't tend to run off as much as he probably could So and create plays. So I think he would be a chance down the track if we lost a small defender because uh, he certainly goes in really quite hard and he's bulked up a little bit more. But once again, I think the next in case would be... probably I thought Weller and Langdon were probably better than Blakely on the weekend. He just tended to struggle and just didn't get into the game at all. Just a question on Craig Moller. I mean, he's been around for a few years now. I mean, doesn't seem to... His stats seem to be about the same in every game, every year. I mean, doesn't seem to be improving or showing anything. I mean, again, I haven't been to a game in a long time. But um, what are your thoughts? Is he improving or not? Or is he sort of stagnating? Oh, I think Moller's definitely improving, but it's very slow. Uh, And the thing that most people forget is that he's still only 20. He seems, I know he's young. Yeah, yeah, I know he's young. He seems to have been, like most guys, see, you know, you think to himself, he's been on the list four or five years, and you think back even, let's look at like Nat Nui, let's look at uh, even Zach Clark. Go back, put Zach Clark four years ago, same sort of thing. He, he's going to take time to develop. It's just whether you, being a B-grade rookie is no, no issue for us. Come the end of the year, they're going to have to make a call one way or the other on him. I can't imagine anyone else would take him, so he might be able to go on. I'm not sure whether he can go from a B rookie to a normal rookie list list or whether he actually has to go on the main list. But if he goes on the main list, the club's going to have a tough decision, I think. Yeah, well, that's why I'm asking the question because it doesn't seem to be moving ahead quickly. But, I mean... He's not going to... It's just going to be taking that time, and most young blokes do. Mm. You do get an occasional ruckman who stands up like a Brody Grundy at 18, 19, but there's not many of them who do. They usually take... 24, 25, look at guys like Segler, those sort of players. And that's why ten, most clubs tend to not draft Ruckman. They'll sort of wait until they're two or three years down the track. So And then pinch one. Yeah, exactly right. 
and obviously we still haven't got Zach Clark's signature yet, so you can't imagine him wanting to go anywhere. Sandlin's has only got a year left. You know Zach's going to be the number one ruckman, but till the till pen goes on paper, he's still got that concern. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and Griffin would clearly be ahead of him at the moment, without question. And he's a he's a player that's good on your list to have. It'll oh, be a tough if call. If goes the... down, you get Griffin straight straight in, and away you go. I mean, what's it? What's how old's Griffin now? He's twenty eight, I think, twenty nine. So he's been around for a little while. But yeah, Molly, at least he's not playing reserves at the moment, which is good. Yeah, he's twenty eight. He was a lot last year. Yeah. So last year, Moller was playing predominantly in the reserves. This year, he's playing Lee. He does provide a contest up forward. He doesn't clunk quite as many as you'd like, but he's probably no different in a way at the moment than sort of Tabiner is a little bit. You know, though Tabiner is obviously runs better patterns, more fit, uh, and can clunk a bit better mark, but he does bring the ball to ground. He's just, you'd love to have him on your list in the B grade rookie for another couple of years but that's not going to be a luxury the club has. So it's going to be a tough call for him one way or the other. Hanneth is the other one that was a, probably a pretty disappointing effort on the weekend. Didn't do a lot in the ruck and didn't provide a lot up forward for me most of the game. He had 13 touches and five marks, but he just doesn't hold on to enough of those marks, especially against guys like Franz and that sort of player at Claremont. He's a good, honest waffle player, but Hannah should be defeating him or beating him comfortably in those one-on-ones if he wants to stake a claim in the next level. Hurley was the other one that sort of had a bit of a look at as well, and he's pretty strong on the one-on-one contest. The main problem with him is that he just tends to give away silly free kicks, and his positioning is still not 100% on song. The ball yeah, you've got to remember, he's just sort of still learning the game as well. So Yeah, it's going to take time for him, and I was quite impressed with, like, with his size. Uh and he'll be one that they'll look closely at. The other one that there's been a bit of talk about was Bootsma. He didn't have a lot of the ball on the weekend either, so I probably wouldn't want to make a judgment based on one game. I probably need to see him a couple more times based on what other people have said over the past three or four weeks. I know Purple Rain always gives a pretty good write-up for the Peel boys, and so it'll just be a case of probably having another look myself before I make another judgment on him. Any other sort of points you want to bring up on the... Uh, Waffle game before we move on, Malcolm? No, I think I'm good there. All right, not a lot to talk about in the ins and outs this week. Fremantle going with no change with the same emergencies in Tendai Mazungu, Crozier and Hanneth, with obviously Lee Spur being the player in doubt. And for Richmond, Ty Vickery is the in, and Liam McBean has been omitted. And the milestone this week is... They're still trying to work out which guy they want there, don't they? Well, that's it. And... The milestone this week is Michael Johnson playing his 200th games. After the ordeal a couple of years ago where he sort of got arrested, wasn't sure whether he'd ever get there, but he's been in awesome form the last probably year or a couple of years and it was definitely a big factor in us not progressing anywhere in the finals last year. So good to see him maintain that terrific form. Not very happy with that. I mean, why change winning winning formula? Exactly right. I know there's been some talk about why don't we rotate players, but you don't um, rotate guys if you're nine and zero. They're no, doing the job. Ross Lyon, he's being true to his word. He's he's he said that uh, we're not going to look at that sort of stuff until we get to the break. We get to the break and then we'll reassess. He's been saying that from pre-season right the way through, and he's staying true to his word. I mean, the only changes have been force changes like McFarlane out for a little bit with a, with an injury, etc. Um, and then just the 
pretty much the Deboa Mazungu, but they seem to have dropped out as well now. So it's just he, he keeps on rolling on, picks a team that he knows is going to perform and win on the day, which uh, is proving to be right. And it's making it hard work for those guys who are not in the side to push for a spot. And it was interesting listening to the radio last week, Valcom. One of the commentators, I think it was Mitsopoulos, was sort of hinting that players look like they were playing not to get formally bust into the team but not get injured so that if rotations occurred, they'd be ready to go. And it just they definitely didn't go in as hard as Claremont last week. So it would be interesting to see if the uh, players are able to put on turn it on a little bit more against West Perth this week. Interesting to see that Sheridan has been named in the 18, and that's not always an indication, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if he does keep his spot this week and give him a full run after having the vest for the last two weeks. Uh, Ross loves talking him up too. He always gets his name in there every time he gets a chance too. The other key area that's been sort of a positive for Richmond at the moment has been in their defence. They've been pretty strong in there with Chaplin, Rance, Batchelor. It'll be interesting to see. They've got a couple of players who are a little bit taller in that defence, but they haven't got guys who are really good small forwards or small, small defenders. So it'll be interesting to see if Ballantyne and Walters get off the leash this week. Last week they played Essendon, who don't really have many good small forwards. So it'll be interesting to see how they match up those players down back, whether Taylor make, Hunt takes someone down there or whether yeah, they use Hunt in Hull, the midfield. Yeah, Hooley and Vloston and maybe even um, rookie McIntosh make them a bit more accountable because they can't sort of float off and try and run up the ground and move the ball because they'll get... Uh, Beaten quickly the other way, and there's they they do provide a lot of drive. Vloston, Hooley, Delidio when he's sitting in that half back line, and it'll be just interesting to see how Fremantle use their small forwards in that role to see whether they can get that ball front and centre and put those def, sort of Richmond players under pressure there. Because even Sean Grigg is another player who loves running off half back but doesn't necessarily run hard the other way. And I know they've had three wins in a row, but even last week if Carlisle didn't kick like Travis Cloak, there's a fair chance they would have won that game. So their yeah, form has been better, but it's not. This week. And it's hard to tell. I mean, it was a good win against Port, but that form against Port doesn't... It's hard to see whether that's holding up. West Coast went over and beat them, and they lost to Brisbane up there. So it's hard to say that how that form against Port is standing up at the moment as well. I'm keen to see how their, um, their backs are going to go against the, the tallness of us. I mean, we've got Pav Tabner, and then you've got Clark and Sandilands rotating through. I mean, the only... True tall they have is Chaplin and uh, Rance. Bachelor's small ish, he's what, late 180s height wise, somewhere around there. Um, but he plays tall. But it's keen to see how they're going to go try and match against our talls, with Pavlich being the, the shortest at 191, and he's absolutely going to get Rance or Chaplin. You'd have to think that that will be the case. It'd be interesting to see which. I think they'll put Chaplin on. Um, Pav, he seemed to have him in the past, and then Rance would go on to Taverner. They may try and run, they may use Rance on the resting Ruckman, whoever that might be, and then use Bachelor and hope that Bachelor can break even in that defensive contest. That would be the other way they could look at look at yeah, going and definitely making an undersized match, though. So um, Dylan Grimes is one, Dylan Grimes is 193 as well, so he does have enough height there to. Run players as tall, so he may be that person they run in that Jeez, regard. I wouldn't, pick, I wouldn't have picked him to be that tall. Yeah, he's one ninety three, so he certainly has the height there. 
but it's how they're going to the players they've got down there don't necessarily have good agility, like Bakahuli, Vlosten. They're big bodies, but they're not necessarily quick and fast. So Walters and Ballantyne, if they can get enough ball down there and particularly at ground level, I think it could put Richmond under a bit of pressure there. Mm. The other interesting player that for Richmond who's been the driver since they've really come back after injury and that sort of thing has been Delidio. And in the past, Crowley's always tended to play him pretty tightly. Ross has come out and said that they're not going to play as a, tag, a tagging role at this stage. Who do you think will get the job on Delidio? Do you think they'll go with Clancy or do you think they'll just run head-to-head? Oh, wouldn't you like to see a Fife Delidio head-to-head or a Fife Cochin head-to-head? That'd be nice because I'd suggest that it would uh, fall in our favour. Um, I think you might find something like a, a Mundy and Delidio just sort of go to head-to-head and see who uh, goes there. They're both similar players, similar speed. Um, if you're going to tag anyone, they might tag Cochin maybe. Just give Clancy a role in there, but I, I don't see it happening. To be honest, I think you'll just find that um, it'll be a head-to-head. Whether Richmond decide they want to send someone to uh, Fife is up to them. They've said they're not going to, but I think you'll find it'll just be a we won't so much worry about what they're doing, but keep playing our patterns, keep playing our structure, and uh, why not? We're, it's working for us at the moment. Yeah, the other interesting part with Richmond is. In the past, they used to be quite a quick side when they used to have the likes of Foley and that sort of thing in there, where now mm. they don't seem to be as quick. Like, they've got bigger bulk in, in there, I think, with the likes of McIntosh, Miles, Cochin, and then obviously Martin Tell and us. Ellis are both quite big body players, but they don't necessarily have huge speed. So it'll be interesting on the bigger ground how they cope with that. And obviously the ball movement for them is going to be critical. I think Ross sort of mentioned it during the week as well, the fact that Richmond are taking a little bit more care of the ball. So that pressure will be really important for Fremantle to be able to try and get those Richmond turnovers and then get the ball going the other way. Marich has also come into some reasonable form, but it'll be a bit tougher for him this week going up against Sandilands, where last week playing Bell Chambers, who's been very average this year in terms of the ruck contest. So Fremantle should be able to get... Marich always makes it a physical contest, and that's the way he plays, so... We know that's coming, but um, he always makes himself accountable, which is always uh, what you can ask, what you can only ask for. And it's, I think it's interesting they've gone with the three talls as well. So obviously Vickery, Rewalt, and Griffith, who does play a bit taller, in order to probably try and stop Fremantle getting that plus one in the back line, particularly where Johnson is, where Fremantle don't have huge amounts of height with Ibbotson, Johnson, and McFarlane usually playing those key roles, and it may be a uh, decision that, you know, they've backed the, the Fremantle defence in the past and whether Ross Lyon continues to do to go that way. Oh, is... You did see McFarlane on, on Revolt. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Johnson will go to the, the Ty Vickery, I would suggest, and then Ibbotson will go with Ben Griffiths and hopefully try to sort of run off, peel off him and take those uh, defensive marks, that he intercept marks that he does. Yeah, Griffiths has been a player who's certainly stood up this year and it'd be interesting to see... If he how he plays with Vickery in the side as well, he seems to play better when there's only the two two key talls in there. He doesn't seem to run as well or be as effective with the third tall, just based on the games that I've seen. The other player that sort of stood out a little bit for me this year as an improver has been Shane Edwards, Valkram. So he's another player who's tended to roll through that midfield and give them a little bit. And he is one player that does have genuine pace through there, and he's been using the ball pretty effectively in the clearances and to open the ball out to their outside users in like Cochin or Delidio and those types. 
Any other matchups stand out for you in this one? Um, no, I think that's. I think it's the 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 midfield battle is where it's going to be at because I think our defence can handle their forward line. Um, it'll be whether our forward line, the height advantage is going to be able to take hold of them or not. I mean, not trying to say anything against Chaplin and Ransom. I mean, they're good players, but they're going to be outsized. So be be keen to see how that. So midfield battle, I think. Well, you you go on form. We 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 should win that battle, and then it should be then to be how we uh, deliver the forward and take advantage of the of the height advantage that we do have down there. Or oh, and the and if it doesn't get to uh, Mar from the forward, then we've got the advantage with um, Ballas and uh, Walters. So I think just looking at the matchups, I think we're in a better position. But it will come down to whether we can use that ball going forward better than what they do going forward. Been an area of concern. I would imagine for Frost, the way we've used the ball inside 15, you sort of mm. hear him talk about it. We don't tend not to do it for... We tend to have patches where for a couple of quarters we're quite good and then we sort of fall away and we tend to butcher it or kick it in high or don't use the best decision. So it'd be nice to be able to see us use that. Going back to that ruck contest, Valkram, I think it's going to be interesting to see where Marich has in the past primarily played on his own as that ruckman. So... It'll be interesting if Sandlin gets rested up forward, whether Zach Clark tries to run Marich into the ground as much as possible or whether they, when he goes off they decide to use Ben Griffiths in that role and Marich goes up forward or rests on the bench. I think that's going to be a key for Richmond is being able to have Marich out there for as much of that game as possible and for Fremantle to take advantage of the two ruck players that we have who are probably arguably the best duo in the league at the moment. Any other uh, sort of style or issues that you think could cause us problems in this game from the way Richmond play? Well, it depends which Richmond turns up, doesn't it? I mean, they've been very... They play two different types of games this year. One where they're quite atrocious and nothing goes right for them, and then other games they just get everything right. So it depends which Richmond turns up. I mean, it could be the same. Could we see this starting to happen from when the teams get up? And they've got to try and play freer now, same as what Adelaide did last week. So, but Richmond aren't really renowned for getting up. They have had in reasonable form, but I heard tonight that they hadn't been in us, I think, for well, seven years or something. It was a ridiculous period of time. Over and, here, yeah. Yeah, and people talk about the fact that they, and they talked about Sydney having good form over here earlier in the year, but that was against West Coast. And even though they've beaten, Richmond have beaten West Coast the last few times, it's a slightly different team and different proposition than playing Fremantle. So, and last year we beat them quite comfortably at the G. So you'd have to think based on form and what we've got and the way we're playing, even though Richmond have, I consider Richmond to be that probably maybe fifth to tenth anywhere on the ladder in there, the middle middle of the range sort of side. Their best so, about, is, so about ninth. <laughs> well, they have been there a lot in the past, but uh, I think you know maybe West Coast can get ninth this year. No, I I just think they're around that bottom half of the eight, if and their best for a period of time can stand up against the better sides, but not sure whether it can do it for four quarters. And they against Frio. Well, that's it. And the other games they haven't played haven't been that. Uh, I'm just having a quick look now at the. Other games I have played this year. The three games I have won against were 
there was a reasonably good win against Collingwood, who have shown pretty good form this year. Then they beat Port Adelaide comfortably, and last week they beat Essendon in a reasonably close game. They lost to Geelong by nine points. They lost to yeah. Melbourne. So it's just, as you said, it's very much which which one turns which, up. Which I mean, one turns up on the said, night? They have won three games in a row, but I mean. It it very much is they they turn up one day and then the next week they don't. At the moment they they've won three in a row, but um, you know we've won nine in a row. Exactly, and I think the odds pretty much dictate that this week where Fremantle are paying a dollar twenty and Richmond are paying four eighty. All right, so what's your uh, tip going to be for this week, Malcolm? Uh, Friday night game. I'm going with Fremantle by thirty eight. Right, this will be one of the few games that Fremantle actually has. On free to air across the country this year, so I think they're going to come out and try and make a bit of a statement, particularly with only a couple of weeks before the bye. Uh, I think Richmond will hang pretty tough in the first half, and I've, if Fremantle get away to the normal start they have been this year early, I think it could be messy. But if Richmond are able to hang tough in the first quarter, I think it could end up being around about that thirty point marge, margin this week. And I think you're pretty close to the mark as well, Valcrum. Between 30 and 38 points, I think, would be a fair assessment. Yeah, the six-goal range. Yeah. And hopefully we'll break our record this week for most consecutive wins. Being 10 Which every media reporter will ask Ross and he will just ignore it. Exactly right. <laughs> you know, it means nothing. And the reality is, at the moment, it doesn't mean anything. As as Ross said earlier, The if you look over in the trophy cabinet, it is still a little bit empty. So... Let's hope that the, uh, we just keep doing the things we're doing and keep all our players out in the park. And that stability, I think, is really important and allows us to have those guys knowing exactly what everyone else is doing. And I think I saw a stat this week. We've only used 26 players this year, Valkram. So it just shows wow. that they're doing everything pretty well and everyone knows what everyone else is doing out there. Well, we've only ever made, what, one change at most from memory? I can't think of a two-change game. No, you're right. I think Unless it was... Round two, maybe? I'm not sure. Yeah, Pierce when came in for McFarlane, and there hasn't been too many others. And uh, then the Mzungu and uh, Sheridan and Deboa sort of seem to be in or out. A balance on out, and I think one came in. So, yeah, yeah. Has, that seems to make sense. All right. Well, unless there's anything else, we'll bring it to a close for this week. Valkyrie, any other points you want to bring up? Uh, nope, I just hope um, Leesburg gets up. Otherwise, I think Mzungu will come in. Yeah, I think, yeah, we sort of did mention it earlier and we never really discussed it. I think it's a good point. It'd be interesting to see if Ross takes any chances with Spur or whether they do decide to give him a rest. The interesting point will be, it's probably a little bit better for Fremantle this week being a Friday night game as well. That If Spur does get up, at least Mzungu can play Tomorrow, considering he hasn't had a game for a couple of weeks, I think it's really important that he does at least play, whether he doesn't play Friday night or Saturday, he definitely needs to get a game in. So being at home, at least he'll allow him to do that for us if if they decide that Spur gets up for the game. Yeah, and if he, if he, they do decide to drop Spur, I mean, we've got Gold Coast on Saturday next week away, so it gives him an extra eight days to uh, get ready for that too. Not who do you think to get ready for it? But who do you think will get the subs vest this week? Um, depends what happens. If Leesburg plays, then I think Tommy will. If Leesburg doesn't play, then I think Mzungu comes in and wears the vest. Yeah, I think it, I think they're going to play Tommy from the beginning this week, 
and I'll it certainly won't be Clark. I don't Lockie Neal won't have it. So you have to think it's either going to be Suckcliffe or Subin. I think they may go with or Clancy. Yeah, no, they won't use Clancy in that role. Clancy's too important across that half back and distributing the ball. Mm. Uh, I think they'll go with Suckcliffe this week in that position and allow him to give us some run off the bench. And Suckcliffe is certainly capable and knows how to play off that sub role. Scene. I think he's played there more than anyone else for Fremantle since that's been in, been in vogue. So um, his nickname was Subcliffe for a while there. <laughs> it certainly was. So, and he hasn't played as probably to the level that we expected or from last year. So it may just sort of give him a chance just to come out, relax and just run muck for a quarter, hopefully, and get, get a bit of touchback, particularly if, if we've got in control of the game come the last quarter, him, they might be able to run him up in the midfield a little bit more and just allow him just to get a bit more kick, a few more kicks and a bit more run into him, like they did with Sheridan last the week before against North Melbourne where he came on and sort of run a muck for, for a quarter. Yeah, he gets to run hard for a quarter, that's it. Yeah. And after the game when you could do extra laps, of course. Hmm. be interesting to see how their younger blokes, they've got a couple of young guys in Corey Ellis and Menadu and those sort of guys go so as well. Being in a sort of foreign environment, it'll be interesting to see how those guys stand up for Richmond. And obviously they've got a number of recycled players in there as well, guys like Taylor Hunt and Greg. It'll be interesting to see if uh, Damien Harbert uses Taylor Hunt on someone like Lockie Neal. As, you know, he tends to be one of those players who plays a bit of a lockdown role or whether they... Because he doesn't really... I don't think Taylor Hunt would have the height to go with any of our other midfielders. So nowhere near it. But he may, they may also decide to play him in that defensive position. I was going to say, do they back. take him back and maybe say, say go after Ballard or Walters and just have a crack? And that's that's what he's got to come into the side for, because if he's not there, he's certainly not going to be in there for any other reason. But it'd be interesting, interesting matchups for sure to see which way they go. All right, thanks for joining us again this week, Valkram. It's great to have you on board. Not a problem. And we will catch you guys again next week. We may have a... Review show pretty early, being a Friday night game, so keep an eye out and we'll have an early review show early next week. That's it for this week. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.